Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Last week, if you, if you weren't here, you missed a great message. I would encourage you to log on to sugarhillchurch.com and click on resource. Pastor Chuck knocked it out of the park. And one of the things that he said that has just resonated with me all week long is that everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. All of us have a story. And Friday night, I don't know if your family's like this, but Friday night, my wife and I, Laura, we hung out with her family. And anytime we hang out, we know we're going to hear a lot of family stories. How many of y'all's families are like that? Do y'all have that? Yeah, where you just share stories. Every, every family has stories, don't they? Some of our stories are funny. Some of our stories are sad. Some of them are uh, heroic, where somebody fought in some famous battle. Every family has a story. And when I was growing up, one of the stories that, that our family liked to share, it didn't come up all that often, but it was always funny when it did, when somebody would ask my parents how they met. Now that, that's a really funny story because my dad served in the military for about, for 37 years, I think it was. And my mom, when they first met, she was volunteering with the Red Cross. And so every few months or so, the Red Cross would come out to their base and they'd set up a donation center there. And so all the military guys could give blood and then anybody else in the community could do that as well. We do that here at our church. We do that every every few months. And um, so my mom was there volunteering. She was the typist for the day. So she was entering everybody's information, checking it out, checking IDs and all that stuff. And so my dad saw her and apparently he's like, hey, she's a cutie. I don't know. That's a little awkward to say about your parents, but you, you, you get what I'm saying. I mean, for some reason, he was intrigued. And uh, now I get a lot of my personality from my dad. I, my dad was very quiet and reserved and, and all those things. So I, so instead of, <clears throat> instead of him going up and asking her out, instead of saying, hey, what's your name? And all, all that kind of stuff. You know what he did? He waited till they packed up. He waited till they got in their cars to leave. He was standing out on the little loading dock area of their base, watching them load out. And she got into the souped up Mustang convertible. So maybe that's what set him over the edge. I don't know. But so he, he saw that. And here's, I can't believe I'm admitting this. He wrote down her tag number. Talk about a creeper. I mean, he... He, he wrote down her tag number and one of his buddies that he went to high school with, uh, was in the police department. And so this is probably breaking all protocol, but he had his friend run her tag number. A little awkward, isn't it? <laughs> right. And so he found out she's single and, you know, all, 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 all this stuff. So that's one of the, that's one of those fun stories where like, Hey, what, you know, it was fun to watch my dad blush as that story's being told. Everybody, has stories. And sometimes really those stories are fun like that. Sometimes those, those stories, uh, encourage us. Sometimes we've got stories of how we overcame some obstacle. Honestly, some of our stories are, are sad stories. Sometimes our stories are, are broken relationships. All of us have a story. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look into one person's story. And that's why, why I think this series is so important. We started the series last week called The Bible. I know that's a, a, 
a brilliant title, isn't it? <laughs> to say the Bible is full of stories, but it's all all part of one story. It's all part of God's story. And every single one of us, as we read God's story, we read our story coming up out of that. In fact, last week on Sunday night, uh, the History Channel started this series called The Bible. I don't know if y'all saw that or not, but the, they, they started this series where it's just five weeks as an overview of the Bible to tell that story. Well, this morning, I want to look at a story of a person that, to be honest, it would be easy to skip over. It would be very easy to ignore. It'd be very easy to lose in the midst of Scripture. But it's a powerful story because it's a story of a woman, but it's also the story of every single one of us. Her name is Rahab. If you know the story, uh, what's happening is the nation of Israel has been delivered from slavery for 400 plus years. They were in slavery in Egypt and they, 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 they served a cruel king named Pharaoh and God delivered them. God delivered them from Pharaoh and said, I'm going to take you into the promised land. God had made a promise to their great, 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 great grandfather Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a land called the promised land. It's going to be amazing. Well, where we pick up the story today is found in Joshua chapter 2. In fact, if you have a Bible, follow along with me. But in Joshua chapter 2, the nation of Israel has been delivered from Egypt, but they haven't yet gone into the promised land. They're in this middle ground. They're in this transition moment in their story. In the middle of that story, as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, they're looking at a city called Jericho. This was a strategic city in their day. This was an important city in their day. And so before storming that city and capturing that city, Joshua, the commander, sends two spies into the land to get as much intelligence, much information as they can from it. And so it's in that context that we meet a woman named Rahab. In fact, tonight, as part of the Bible series that's on TV this part of the story will be told. And I've got a clip from tonight's episode. So let's, let's roll that clip and just set up the story of Rahab. Check out the screens. So we meet. Yeah, go ahead. That's awesome. We meet this woman, Rahab. So these two spies go into the land to check it out. And so they're going into enemy territory. And so they find out, the enemy finds out Israel's coming, Israel's near, they're coming to conquer us, and fear spreads through Jericho. And in the middle of this, we read this woman's story. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning is I want you to write down the three parts of the story. What are the three plots of a good story? Because in her story, we read my story and your story. Point number one, if you're taking notes, as we read about this story, as number one, a story puts life in context. A good story puts our life in context. Everybody's life has a background. Every story has a context. None of us live isolated from everything else around us. There is something that's the background to our story. If we were to go across this room and ask people to describe, hey, what's your background? What, uh, where did you grow up? What are some of the things that affect you? Every one of us has a context to our story. Well, in Joshua chapter 2, we find out this lady's context. We find out her background. We, we find out what describes her. Listen to verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, 
sent two men as spies secretly. He said to them, go, view the land, especially Jericho. Said they went and they came into a house. So here they go. Joshua sends them out. He says, go out, spy the land, take a report, find out what's going on. And so he says, especially Jericho. Well, why Jericho? Well, Jericho was one of the most fortified cities of their day. Jericho was one of the most well-defended cities of their day. Jericho was strong. It, it, It was bold. And so here's what Joshua knew. Here's what his men knew. If we can take down Jericho, then the word is going to spread to everybody else in the community. They're thinking is, if we can take out this key strategic city, then Fear is going to spread to the rest of our enemies. They're they're going to spread the word. They're going to be like, hey, did you hear about Jericho? Hey, did you hear about Joshua? Hey, did you hear about the armies of Israel? And so they knew if they could take out the strategic city, it would be good for them. So I get that. So when I read this story, I'm thinking, Jericho, that makes sense. Jericho, I get that. But listen to what it goes on to say in verse 1. So they went and they came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now again, I get Jericho. I get fortified city. I get, hey, this is going to be a strategic move for us. But when they go and when they're spying it out, the place that they choose to hide, the place that they choose to go is to the woman's house named Rahab, who is a prostitute. She lives, she's a Gentile living in a pagan society, worshiping pagan gods, and she's selling her body for money. And yet she's part of the story. She's part of the story. And I'm thinking I get Jericho. I get the strategy of it all. I get the walls and all the power of that. But really, Rahab? Rahab, really a prostitute? Really this woman? Why? Why is that? And so the background of her life is that she's a prostitute. The background of her life is is that the Bible describes her as a harlot. But guess what? The context of my life isn't much different either. And neither is the context of yours. See, what happens is when, when we have sin in our life, that maybe is more respectable than her sin, we think, well, I'm not as that bad of a person. A lot of times what happens is we grade ourselves on some curve. We grade ourselves on some scale. We're like, well, well, that person, they're really, that person, they really need to get, that person, they need to be saved. But man, you know, I'm pretty good. I mean, I grew up going to church and when the offering basket comes by, I put something in and, and I try to try to do right by my, I'm pretty good. But here's the context of our story. If you're taking notes underneath that first point, just write this, this verse down. Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. Yes, this woman's background was a prostitute. Yes, she was a harlot. But here's the background of all of our lives. If you look at the screens, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, let me ask you a question. How many is all? I need a little classroom participation. How much is all? It's all, right? <laughs> that's every single one of us. That's me. That's you. That's, that's every single one of us. The, the context of our story is maybe we're not a prostitute. Maybe we're not a harlot, but we still at our cores are sinners. 
The Bible says that every single one of us are born into this world separated from God because of our sin. That's the background of our story. That's the background of our story. No matter if you grew up in church or this is your first time to church, no matter if you grew up in the buckle of the Bible belt or you grew up somewhere else around the world, every single one of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, the next verse that I have you write down is John 8, 34. Just write down John 8, 34. This is Jesus himself speaking. And he said, look, look at the screen. Truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who commits sin is what? A slave to sin. A slave to sin. And so as we read the story of people that were in slavery being delivered to the promised land, guess what? That's our story too. That the background of our story is we're born separated from God because of our sin. And maybe your sin or my sin's more more acceptable in our society, but it's still sin. It doesn't make just because people don't just because people look past it and they overlook it doesn't mean it's not wrong. It's still sin and that sin separates us from God. That's the background of the story. That's the background. And to be honest, that's not a popular background, is it? That's not a popular context or story, is it? Most of the time we like to talk about how good we are and how we, we break our arms, patting ourselves on the back of all the good things that we've done. But I'm telling you, the background of every single one of our stories, myself included, is we are sinners. Now, I doubt anybody's going to go home and hop on my Facebook page today and say, hey, that was awesome. We're all sinners. We don't get fired up about that, but it's true. That's the context. The good thing is the story doesn't stop there. So number one, our story puts our life in context. Big point number two, a good story presents a life-altering choice. Just write that phrase down. A good story provides a life-altering choice. There has to be a choice. There comes a moment of clarity. There comes a moment where we've got to decide what we're going to do. That's what happens in Rahab's life. So here's this harlot. Here's this prostitute. Here's this woman that's being used by her society. And yet she finds herself in the middle of a God story. She finds herself in this major transitional part of the nation of Israel's story. And so she's got to decide, what am I going to do? So these spies come into her house. These spies are hiding out. These spies know that they're being hunted and she's got a choice. Hey, am I just going to ignore them? Am I going to lock the door and say, well, good luck. I'm going to pray for you. Is she going to turn them over to the enemy? Is she going to bring them into their house, into her house and then say, all right, go back out into the hallway or back out into the alley and say to, to, to the enemy, hey, they're in here. Come get them. I mean, the easiest choice would have been just for her to disconnect from the story altogether, and yet she had to make a choice. And that's true of every one of us in this room, that every single one of us have got to make a choice. Every single one of us, really, our lives are largely defined by the choices that we make. A lot of times our our, our lives are directed by the choices. What am I going to do at this critical crossroad? What am I going to do at this moment? Am I going to stay the same? Am I going to pull away or am I going to pull towards him? We all have to make a choice, don't we? I mean, I've I've met a lot of people in my years of ministry or just in regular life. I mean, not even in a ministry context, just going to meals with people, you know, sitting next to somebody on the airplane, within a couple of minutes, I can, I can usually detect the kind of person that they are. 
Within a couple of minutes, if, if you're looking out for it, you can determine if the person you're talking to, do they have a victim mentality or do they have a victor mentality? And there's a difference. I mean, largely everybody falls into these two categories. Am I a victim? Do I think I have nothing to do with my story? Do we think, well, it's everybody else's fault. It's my boss's fault. He doesn't get me. It's my supervisor's boss. They're mean to me. Hey, it's my spouse's fault. They don't treat me right. Hey, it's society's fault. They're not taking care of me. Hey, it's the president's fault. He, and, and oftentimes people live in this victim mentality. We think, well, everything's happening to me. Why is this happening to me? It's not my fault. But the the truth is, you've got a choice. Instead of just being a bystander, you can become the CEO of your life and take responsibility instead of saying, I'm going to be a victim to my story I'm going to be a victor to my story. I'm going to step up and I'm going to make the right choice. Every one of us in this room can do this. No matter what your context is, no matter what your background is, no matter what it is that you struggle with, every single one of us can make a choice. And so this woman's choice is, am I going to stay safe or am I going to trust the Lord? Am I going to back away and disconnect from this plot or am I going to lean into him? And so here's what she says. I can't read this whole passage to you in the, in the few minutes we have together, but let me read you a couple of them. It says in verse four of chapter two, But the woman had taken the two men and she hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I do not where they're from. I do not know where they're from. Listen to what she says to them. This is so powerful. Look down in verse nine. When she's talking to these two spies, she says this. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Here she is. She's part of the enemy. Here she is, part of the city that's about to be conquered. And she says to these guys, we know the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. Listen to verse 10. This is so amazing. She says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. Listen to verse 11. And when we heard it, our hearts melted. Our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. And listen to this last part of verse 11. For the Lord your God, he is who? He is God in heaven. He's above and on earth and beneath. This woman had to make a choice and she chose faith. She could have been beaten. She could have been killed by her own people, and yet she made a life-altering choice. Isn't that the story of us? I mean, no matter what your background is, a lot of times we think, well, there's no way God could use me. I've done all of this. There's no way God could change this. All of this is happening. My, my spouse did this, and my, and my boss did this, and my church did this. And, and we go down the list, and yet I'm here to tell you that God— can reach into any story, no matter how dark it is, no matter how nasty it is, no matter how messy it is, and God can reach into any story and pull something good up out of it. I mean, you see that all through Scripture. Remember Joseph in the book of Genesis? Here's a kid that was sold by his own brothers into slavery. Here's a kid that was 
falsely accused by, by, by Potiphar's wife. Here's a kid that went through all kinds of crazy circumstances, yet God was able to reach down into his life and to set him up as the second in charge in all of the land. Think about the nation of Israel, 400 years in slavery, every year of slavery, harsher and harder than the year before. And yet God reached down into their slavery and pulled out freedom in the middle of it. I mean, think about the book of Judges. The book of Judges that comes later in the Old Testament is story after story of how the nation of Israel is brought down low. The story of, of, of Israel, they're, they're, they're beat up by the enemy, and yet God reaches down and he raises up a judge and he changes their story. God can change your story. God can change mine. So number one, the story puts our life in context. We're all born separated from God because of our sin. Number two, there comes a life-altering choice that we have to make. We have to decide, what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with this offer of salvation? What am I going to do with this new life? And then here's the last point, number three. It produces lasting change. It produces lasting change. So here's Rahab trying to decide what she's going to do. And so she says, but I know, I know that your God is the God. And so instead of turning them over to the captors, instead of giving up and disconnecting, she helps them escape. She helps them run back to Joshua. She helps them. And in return, they turn and they say to her, if you put that scarlet cord out your window, when we come back, and they do in Joshua chapter six, when we come back, Everybody from your household that's in that house with that scarlet red cord, they will be saved. Just like when the, when, when, when God sent those plagues over the nation of Egypt and that death angel went through Egypt, God said every Israelite that has that red blood on the doorpost, looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross for us, God said, just in that same way that wherever that red, that scarlet is, I'm going to pass over. They use that same imagery to say, we're going to save you. And I'm telling you, that change lasted forever in her life. See, in Joshua chapter 2, and again in Joshua chapter 6, guess who she is? She is Rahab the harlot. Rahab, would you like that to be the start of your story? Hey, here's my story. I'm Rahab the harlot. And yet, you know what ends up happening in her story? Here's what happens in her story. If you fast forward to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, if you don't know what Hebrews 11 is, it's the, it's the hero's hall of faith. It's a chapter that, that just lists every person that did significant things, a lot of people that did significant things for God through faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, only two women are named by name, Sarah, Abraham's wife, which I get, and guess who the other one is? Rahab. In fact, in the book of James, James uses two people as an example of what saving faith that leads to life change looks by, looks like. He uses Abraham and guess who the second person is he uses? Rahab. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew starts his gospel. He's writing to Jews, so it's very important that he show that Jesus comes from this, this bloodline that dates back to David and back to Abraham. And so Matthew opens his gospel, name after name after name after name after name, and guess whose name is in the lineage of Jesus the Messiah? Rahab. Rahab's story is changed. She goes from being Rahab, the prostitute. She becomes the great grandmother of David, the greatest king that ever lived. 
and she becomes part of the bloodline of Jesus himself. Not a bad story, is it? God is able to reach into any story. God is able to reach into any story and show us where, we're, where we are apart from him. He's able to offer us salvation through his son. And then he offers us making that choice to say yes. And our lives can be forever changed. Maybe you're like Rahab today. Maybe for you, the status quo of your life is you feel like the status is no for your life. Maybe you feel like you're too far gone. You're too far off. There is no way. Maybe you're like Rahab thinking, I wish I was someone else and I wish I was somewhere else. And God used this moment to show you that his story can intersect your story. If there's never been a moment that you've truly been convicted of your sins, if there's never been a moment that you've truly seen how separated we all are from the life of Christ, the greatest thing that could happen this morning is for us to see our sin, but to see the Savior that died on the cross for our sins. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus never did anything wrong. You and I, we've done things that are wrong against God, against ourselves, against other people. And our sin separates us from God. But the Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. That when Jesus hung on that cross, it's almost like Jesus became a magnet for sin. That Jesus took everything that we've done against ourselves, God, and other people, and he took it on himself. And the Bible says when he died and breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. He paid the price for my sin, for your sins, for the sins of the world. They placed him in a tomb. And three days later, he came back to life with resurrection life in his body. Able to give anybody, Rahab's or whatever's, able to give them a brand new start. If that's never happened in your life, maybe you've been to church, but your heart has never been changed. The greatest thing that could happen is for us to come to the end of ourselves and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I can't, but I know that you can. I'm tired of living life myself out of my own strength. I'm tired of trying to be the author of my own story. I want to be part of your story. And you can ask him this morning to step out of heaven and step into your heart and save you. For him to forgive you. For him to let you, help you live a brand new life. Maybe you're a believer, but somewhere along the way, you've lost your way and you're living out the wrong story. My challenge for us this morning is to say, let's return to him and say, God, what do you want to write in the rest of my life?